VMware patches, Mozilla patches, and Clearview AI, all that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug. He is Paul. Hello, everybody. And we're going to have a shake it up a little bit this week. I had to jet down to southern Florida at the last minute, and it is like standing on the surface of the sun. So I've been sweating and uh, red-faced, but I'm happy to get, I'll be up back up north soon enough. And uh, so what we're going to do, we're going we're to combine the, um, the fun fact and the This Week in Tech History, because this week on May 24th, 1844, Samuel Morse sent the first telegraphic message. What hath God wrought from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore? Well, what distance is that, Doug? It's about 100 kilometers. Yeah, it's not too far. But it's quite a thing, isn't it, that you you tap the lever at this end and, and it responds almost at the speed of light. Yeah. And I believe it wasn't long before the telegraph was used in Britain to catch a fleeing crook for the first time. <laughs> this guy was suspected of a, of a murder and he jumped on an express train to London. And, of course, that was the fastest way of travelling at that time. So he figured there's absolutely no way they can get a message to London except by taking the next train. So I'll have time to get to Dover, get to France, run away. And they were able to telegraph a message ahead. And when he exited the train, they were waiting for him. Fascinating. The world has got smaller ever since, Douglas. (laughs) Yes. Good job, Telegraph. Uh, Speaking of things that don't work so quickly, we have a story about the U.S. government. If you want to work with the government and you are going to use VMware, you better patch it right now. Yes, I thought that was a fascinating story because it's easy to criticize the public service in pretty much any country in the world for its attitude to IT because it's trying to please so many people all of the time and things have to get distilled down to what you might call the lowest common denominator. Like, oh, that department isn't quite ready for this new cryptographic standard yet, so we'll put it off for another day, week, month, year. But in this case, the federal government just decided, you know what, there are sufficiently many people who don't seem to be patching very quickly these latest VMware updates, which are not remote code execution. It's not like cooks can use them to break into networks, but they do allow unauthorized people more easily than they should essentially to break into virtual machine control servers. And you can imagine, like for a ransomware crook, if you could get into some federal government network VMware server control server, then that would be like 20 years ago going to some secret network data center and then finding that you were unaccompanied and somebody had propped the server room door open. <laughs> make, make yourself at home. Yeah. Computers and switches and patch panels and backup tapes. The federal government said, basically, we are giving you this weekend. Kind of should have done it already. You've got till Monday to get these patches out. And even perhaps even more importantly, you've got until noon the day after to report what you did and how you did it. And by the way, if you can't or don't want to get the patches out, that's fine, but you have to disconnect from the network. So it's basically lead, follow, or get out of the way. Yeah, and ho- hope you don't have anything planned for the weekend because you're going to be getting up to speed 
which is that's that's good. Get with it. And there may still be a lot of sysadmins out there who have the idea that, oh, well, anything that's not remote code execution, where the crooks can actually use the bug to break in from outside in the first place, I can leave it. In this case, it was essentially just, and I'm making giant air quotes, elevation of privilege. Mm -hmm. But it meant that anyone who was already on your network, they basically had the door to the server room propped open and nobody watching. So I think it's great that we're also moving away from the idea that, well, you, you do the remote code execution and you worry about all the other stuff later. Sometimes life doesn't quite work like that. And bugs that seem to get a lower score or seem like they should be less of a problem could still be a very clear and present danger. All right. Well, that is uh, U.S. government says patch VMware right now or get off our network on nakedsecurity.sophos.com and let us stay with the patch theme. So uh, you may recall that Mozilla fell victim to a double exploit during the Pwn to Own, and they, uh, they patched it very quickly, two days later. <laughs> yes, that was great. That was um, Manfred Powell, the German hacker. We talked about him before. He was the sole hacker taking on Firefox and Safari. He was successful in both cases. As far as I know, he got 50000 for the for Safari, compromising Safari. But he got double that for Firefox because he basically broke in. And then, if you like, he broke out of the sandbox he'd broken into. So it's like a sort of double exploit chain. I was quite amazed. It was a, a Friday night and my Firefox popped up and said, 100.0.2 is available. Do you want it now? Hmm. I'd like to think that one of the reasons Mozilla was able to fix this so quickly is not just, you know, their own innate brilliance, but the fact that if you watch the video of him poning Firefox, it was that gone in seven seconds, if you remember we spoke about that last time. It's quite clear that he knew he was going to succeed because he had actually put in the hard yards, not just to know enough to get lucky, but they actually understood all the steps. And if you understand them, you can document them. And if you can document them, then that's really great for the person has to come along and fix the problem that you found. Okay, very good. This is called Mozilla Patches Wednesday's Pwn to Own Double Exploit on Friday on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And we circle back now to Clearview, who has an image database of, what, 20 billion photos and um, didn't handle those properly and got fined what amounts to pennies per photo. If not, if even, and we thought we so we thought we thought this was going to be about a twenty million dollar fine. It turned out being about half that. Yes, Clearview AI is probably a name that our listeners will recognise. It sounds like a great idea. Why don't we just roam the internet like Google does, looking for search terms to index? But instead of looking for words, we'll look for images, and we'll take images that we think already have identifying data associated with them you know like the birthday photo that you uploaded that said hey here's my buddy Doug at my birthday party oh and the other person on the other side that's his wife <laughs> so they scrape all this data and of course not everyone thought this was a good idea as you can imagine the the Facebooks the Googles the Twitters of the world said I know we collected that data and we're publishing it but it was collected with our terms and conditions. You've basically stolen them. Cease and desist. And Clearview AI sort of threw their toys out of the cot and said, how dare you? It's a First Amendment right. 
for me to take your data and re-commercialize it in my own way. You do this with your search engine, they said to Google. Whatever you think of Google, whether you love them or hate them, whether you think they go too far or not, you can opt out of Google searching. So with something like a robots.txt file or the right header in HTTP replies, you can say, dear Google or search engine, don't come calling here. You're welcome to look at these files, but we don't want them indexed. And Google will honour that. There's no opt-in for Clearview. They just take the images and it seems there's no opt-out either. So you can't write to them and say, I I suspect that you may have my images. My name is so-and-so. Delete them. (laughs) Which you think would be reasonable, right? That's Yeah, that is a reasonable request, yeah. As you started this off, it's taken 20 billion images collected without permission, apparently in violation of terms and conditions, and with no provision for opt-out. They did face a class action, for example, for this. And the class action lawsuit, okay, it's written in legalese and US, like the UK, has an adversarial legal system. So, you know, the lawyers are coming out boxing hard from the word go. But it doesn't seem particularly unreasonable when they say Clearview created its database by violating each person's privacy rights, oftentimes stealing their pictures from websites in a process called scraping, which violates many platforms and sites' terms of service and in other ways contrary to the site's rules and contractual requirements. But perhaps most importantly, they're collating this database, intending to sell it to law enforcement, of everybody. Which is very different from traditional law enforcement mugshots, where there's supposed to be at least some probable cause or reasonable connection to have the person in the mugshot list. And the UK and Australia investigated this in 2021, and both the Information Commissioner's Office, ICO in the UK, and the OAIC, the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, decided that this was not on, primarily because they had no lawful reason for collecting the data, in the opinion of those two government bodies. They did not process the information in a way that people were likely to expect. They had no process to stop the data being held indefinitely. They didn't meet the higher data protection standards for what's considered biometric data, like your photo, and they didn't tell anybody. <laughs> but apart from that, Doug, it was fine. <laughs> There's a, so the, the fine itself is a kind of a weak slap on the wrist, but the, the, the bigger issue for Clearview is now their markets are shrinking because um, all these countries are just shutting them out completely. The Australians said, you have to cease and desist, you have to delete the data, don't do it again. And the ICO in the UK said, that's where we're going, but we're also planning to fine you £17.17 million, which at the time was about £20 million US. And then last week, I think, they announced, right, £7.5 million, which is at the current exchange rate below $10 million. So it's not clear why the fine plummeted to 45% of what was originally planned. To hear from one of our readers, uh, Richard says, let's see, fine about seven and a half million pounds for about 3,000 million illegal pictures. So the UK justice system values the lawbreaking at about four pictures per UK penny. And then we think he might actually be undercounting that. Yes, I replied saying, well, if you go to their website, they're actually very proud of the fact that, quote, 20 plus billion images in our law enforcement database, the largest in the world by far, unquote. And as our commenter Richard followed up saying, so the population of their database now exceeds the population of the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Maybe their market will shrink. And it's sort of a reminder that 
the fact that something seems like a good idea is not in and of itself a satisfactory reason to do it. Which brings us to the advice we have at the bottom of the article. And although we can't opt out of this, there are some things you can do to minimize your exposure. Yes, as we said in the article, any legalisms that are put in the way of companies like Clearview AI, you also need to bear in mind that sometimes the best defense is not to give out the data in the first place. And our shorthand for best way to avoid punch <laughs> nobi there is, if in doubt, don't give it out. So don't feel that, oh, I, I have to upload all these photos of myself and my chums because otherwise people will think less of me. And the flip side of that, Doug, is it's kind of okay if you want to be popular online or you want people to know who you are and where you are. You don't mind that. That's fine. But don't make that decision on behalf of other people. And that's not really something that IT or cybersecurity or the law can do much about. That's up to you know our own, what you might call, socialization in respect of social networks. And so I just ask everybody, don't upload data, notably including images of your friends, without their express permission. Ask first and ask every time. It is slightly boring, but in the long run, in my opinion, it's very much better for everybody. All right, that's great advice. And that article is called Clearview AI Face Matching Service. Find a lot less than expected on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And thank you, Richard, for your comments. If you have an interesting story, comment, or question you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles, or you can hit us up at, on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Amath, reminding you until next time to stay, stay secure. secure. And thank you, Douglas, so much for taking this gap out of what should be your personal time to make sure that we did, after all, get a podcast this week. Always willing to fight cybercrime with my friend Paul. <laughs> you got it. <laughs>